Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 160. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here for October, here for Halloween, and we put out the call to action. We put it out to a vote. We knew we were going to do a couple of DCOMs. We let you decide whether we were going to do Descendants or Zombies. And as I think we all sort of would have figured out, certainly I think it's what you and I kind of knew before we got into it, it was Descendants, and it wasn't even close. I'm just happy we are done with Halloween Town. Listen, never say never, because you know Disney loves a reboot. And Kimberly J. Brown is still all about it. She still has an Etsy shop, and she's still doing Halloween Town merch, and she's dating... The kid who played ca- the kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was at the time. He was the kid who played Calabar's son yes. in the second one. Yes. And they're together in real life. I could totally see a reboot happening. Yeah, and he never returned again. One of the biggest swings and misses of the Halloween Town franchise. But we're not here to talk about Halloween Town. No, we're, we're to- done. <laughs> we're here to talk about Descendants, which, if I'm being honest with you, having only seen this movie once prior to sitting to discuss it this week when it won in the in the vote amongst the listeners i kind of had the knee-jerk reaction that you have with halloween town because hot take when we watched descendants for the first time i did not understand the hype behind this really i i didn't understand the hype i didn't think it was worth the hype So I was kind of excited and yet cautiously optimistic at the same time to sit and do a rewatch on it. I'm into it. I'm definitely into it. But from the first viewing to watching it now a lot more critically, you notice a lot more things. I think so. Not just like, oh, this is Kristen Chenoweth and it's fun. Yeah, see, now, like, I'm all about the idea. I was all about the concept of it. But the question that I had then... And it remains until now. Is this worth the hype? This review is sponsored by the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Products include Disney and Pixar-inspired 3D straw charms. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. If you remember to enter it. Because (laughs) (laughs) I just got some for our trip and I was very excited to get some Christmassy ones. And what didn't you do? What didn't you do? I didn't enter the code. You've been reading this sponsorship since January, and you didn't enter the code. I know. Keep to the code. (laughs) Keep to the code. The code. Once again, Monoreal 10, you will get a 10% discount. Visit them on Instagram or Etsy. Search for Hidden Mickey Supply Co. and shop for all of your straw charm needs. Belle and the Beast are king and queen of the newly formed United States of Auradon and have vanquished the villains to the Isle of the Lost and surrounded it with a force field. Their son, Ben, is about to be crowned king and has extended an olive branch to some of the children on the Isle of the Lost. He extends invitations to Mal, the daughter of Maleficent, Evie, the daughter of the Evil Queen, Carlos, the son of Cruella de Vil, and Jay, the son of Jafar, 
to come to the other side and attend school in Aradon. Maleficent tells them to steal the fairy godmother's wand upon their arrival so that the villains can take over the world. Upon their arrival, the four meet the fairy godmother along with Ben, his girlfriend Audrey, the daughter of Aurora, and Dopey's son, Doug. Using Evie's pocket-sized magic mirror, they track the wand down to a uh, museum, but fail to obtain it after Jay sets off an alarm. Their plan pivots once they learn that the wand will be used at Ben's coronation. Disney loves themselves a good coronation. Back at school, Mal uses a spell to make Jane, the daughter of the fairy godmother, beautiful and tries to trick her into getting Mal her mother's wand. Jay and Carlos are meanwhile recruited to join the tourney team at the school and Carlos overcomes his fear of dogs. Upon learning that Audrey would be near Ben during his coronation, Mal bakes a love potion into a cookie which is eaten by Ben who then dumps Audrey in favor of Mal. Mal, and then they go on a date. Um, and we're going to talk a lot about that date when we start breaking down yeah, the we movie. Are. Yeah, um, we are. <laughs> Evie, meanwhile, agrees to go on a date with Doug after initially trying to date Chad, the son of Cinderella. Mal, Evie, Carlos, and Jay all start second-guessing whether they want to go through with Maleficent's plan and are intent on fitting in over Parents' Weekend, which, of course, their parents cannot attend. Their plan falls short, however, after Audrey's grandmother makes a scene over the sight of Mal and Chad scuffles with Jay. Belle and the Beast blame Ben for this failed plan, and upon being shut out by their schoolmates, the four decide to go ahead with the plan and steal the wand. At the coronation, Ben admits to Mal that her spell was washed away in the enchanted lake during their aforementioned date, but he truly cares for her. During the ceremony, a jealous and bitter Jane grabs the wand and breaks the barrier on the Isle of the Lost and sets Maleficent free. Mal takes the wand from Jane, and the four choose to be good. Maleficent arrives and freezes everyone except the four children of the villains. Mal tells her mother she wants to be good, and then Jay attempts to steal Maleficent's scepter, but she fights him off and, and is effectively turned into a dragon because emotionally she is just set off. Using the power of good, Mal helps turn her mother into a lizard. The fairy godmother unfreezes the people of Auradon and they celebrate Ben's coronation as he is now the king. Book! We open on a book. I, if you have been with us for a while or if you have gone back into the deep, deep back catalog of Monorail Radio. It seemed like, say for the first 10 episodes, we could not escape discussing a movie that opened on a book. Which is funny because I don't know if that says more about us or about Disney. I think a little bit of both. They did start a lot on a book and they even carried that through as late as Enchanted when they spoofed the classic fairy tales. Mm -hmm. But the order that we picked to do these films... It was just book after, I mean, Jungle Book, Enchanted was an early one. Uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Of course. We did uh, Little Mermaid. Little Mermaid doesn't open on a book. Is that? No. No, it doesn't. But that is a classic fairy tale. That's interesting. But here we are back to the book. And as it opens up, I want your opinion on this. We get the United States of Auradon, right? 
you have Belle and the Beast. They're living in a castle. Is it just me? Because there's been some debate about this. Or does the castle that they live in look an awful lot like Cinderella's castle? It does. And I'm glad you bring that up because that was sort of the question that I was going to pose to you. Did it make sense that they put everything on one timeline? Because I feel like that's kind of what you're getting at here. I think as far as the castle itself goes, they needed to ground us in something that was familiar. So obviously you're going to lean into the parks. I can, I can give that one a pass, but for me, I found myself starting to overthink it about how all of these fairy tales are taking place on one timeline and not just at the same time, but in the same setting. So I kind of just forced myself to put it out of my head because I feel like that would have ruined it from the jump. The reason why I don't mind it is because of how convoluted, confusing, and frustrating Once Upon a Time became. Yes. Once they started, it's like they fell victim to the Walking Dead thing. We're going to focus on all of you in this world for an entire episode, and then we're not going to see you again for five weeks. It was too many people in too many different places with too many subplots. Too and much that, detail. And that was in, you know, a, a, a series that goes, what, like 20 episodes a season. This is one film running time of two hours and 15 minutes. I think it would have been way too convoluted if you kind of had like this multiverse in Disney. To me, it bothers me more that they're living in what, at least in a color scheme and in, in structure really, looks like Cinderella's castle because Beast has a castle. We've seen it in two different versions of Beauty and the Beast, and we see it at New Fantasyland. So that within itself is familiar. I understand they're trying to make things on brand and they're trying to make things familiar, but it's not as if we're asking you to go to, like, the Skull King's castle in the Black Cauldron. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's... It's a very recognizable symbol. It is, but this is one of those instances where I think less is more. And the less you think about it, the less it's going to bother you. Because it's not like Belle and the Beast have moved into Cinderella's castle. And it shouldn't be at the Beast castle either, because then we're going to think, okay, this is France. It's Oridon. It, it is a level playing field. We're just in new territory and... If the castle looks like Cinderella's, then so be it. I thought it was an interesting choice that they went with Belle and the Beast. But it was a decision that I liked, actually. I was going to ask you that. I'm not sure that Belle and the Beast were the ones to do it, to unify everything. I think the problem is, so often, you go to Cinderella and Prince Charming, right? You go to Snow White and the Prince. You go to Aurora and her Prince. I I think... And part of it is, a lot of the times in those early Disney films, you had your leading lady and the prince. You couldn't even tell me the name of half of those guys. Right. But you know- They don't even have first names. One of them's name is Charming, and the other one is Prince, period. Yeah. And not the artist formerly known as either, like different prince. 
But everybody knows Belle and the Beast. So I think you kind of had to give people characters that they can not only relate to, but they're also you know familiar with. It's just not, oh, that prince from that movie. I hear you. And they do try to address it because there is a line later on in the film where they say that Belle was willing to overlook a beast, you know, and everything that came along with that to see what was inside his heart. And, you know, she was the one that saved the kingdom in her movie. Right. uh, Or in her story. So that's what they try to parallel here through the son when, you know, he's making his case and saying, you know, mom, you did this same thing that I'm trying to do to overlook the stereotype and see the good in people. So for that much, I think it works. I feel like they went with Beauty and the Beast because there's, I mean, that's the other thing, because you've leveled the playing field and you're talking about almost 50 years worth of Disney movies that you're trying to cram in here. I feel like they do a good job of covering the classics and the more modern movies on like a certain new fireworks show, which we're going to talk about. Uh-oh. Um, but uh, I think that that was part of the balancing act. And if you think about it, too, all of the villains who have been cast away onto the island, they're all magic. Beauty and the Beast villain is Gaston, who is not magic, so he would have no reason to be able to... Plus, he fell off a roof. Yeah, he's he's gone. So my point is that this was their way of getting a more modern story in, because you have Aladdin and already and this was a lot easier to do than try and get Ariel or Ursula in here right and I think for me I think the parallel works I think having Ben use sort of fighting fire with fire when Belle and the Beast have they have no intent no interest really in backing him on this plan to extend the olive branch to the children of the Isle of the Lost, I think the fact that he could throw it back at her like, well, this is how you did it, and this is what you did, you had to kind of rush into why they are doing this so that you can play out the rest of the film. Because it is a made-for-TV movie. So right. In the made-for-TV movies, we know that sometimes they kind of just rush to get through things so that they can get to the meat of the story. I think that that was probably the easiest way to do it, but I buy it. What I don't quite understand is why he's becoming the king at 16. I know that, again, we've discussed this on the show with royal families. It's my understanding that you're the king until you croak. Now, of course, this is a newly formed United States of Oridon with a high, with a monarch, uh, which is kind of <laughs> weird within itself, um, it's just so strange that we're going back to this notion of you're going to be a king at 60. It's Princess Diaries all over again. Right. That is a good point. And that is something, not to get too far ahead, but I feel like that is where the film does trip over itself, is that conceptually this is brilliant, but where you tried to make it appeal to a younger audience and perhaps capitalize on the success of High School Musical, you fall into those high school tropes, and that's where the story weakens. If they were a little bit older, 
I would have bought stepping up to take over the throne a little bit more. Um, but because they're trying to force the high school movie, I guess we just kind of have to play along with him being 16. Because are they really going to kill the beast in front of us? No. Because if, if he was going to inherit the throne, let's say, it would mean his father would have to die, but his father's the beast. Nobody wants to see that, especially not in a decom. Yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, listen, if we had found out that this is why they banished all of the villains to this other island, I mean, I guess I could have bought it more. It's They banished them for the sake of banishing villains, which you don't really need much of an explanation for. I kind of get it. But that's where I'm saying I don't know that I buy into the Beast being the one to do it. Considering he himself was kind of, I'm not going to call him a villain, but he was an anti-hero for most of his life. Right. And he just had an enchantress show up out of nowhere. And the villain in his film is dead. I could see somebody like Prince Philip doing this because he was afraid Maleficent would come back or, you know, her magic would still, they, they'd figure out a way to, to use it again. Right, and that also lends itself to the idea that this is not a multiverse, that all of these fairy tales, all of these stories, they've all happened in the same timeline, which doesn't bother me either because Disney has planted so many of their characters in other movies, so we are led to believe that these have all happened on the same timeline. I think where I get a little bit lost early on here is like you said, they're trying to capitalize on the success of High School Musical, and they're trying to make a high school movie. Well, I just talked about Once, and Once was a crazy smash hit that we stopped watching because as much as we liked it in the beginning, it just got... <laughs> um, it's kind of insane to say. It got exhausting to watch it, mm -hmm. but this feels like... You know, in in a typical at times Disney fashion, and I kind of hate to say this about something that is sort of universally loved, but also something that came out during Iger's reign as the CEO. This feels everything like the tail end of the Eisner era when it was, well, this is working and this is working and this is working, so put it all together and make it work as one, and we're going to just make this big mashup of three things that are doing really well for us right now. Well, to be fair, this was actually not supposed to be a musical. They didn't decide to do a musical until they brought on Kenny Ortega, who not only did high school musical, but he did a couple of other lesser known films you may or may not have heard of called Newsies and Hocus Pocus. So he's got a track record of hit after hit, and the guy knows how to direct a dance sequence, which we are going to talk about later. Let me ask you something. Yeah. What do you think about the villains that they did choose to focus on their kids? So I like this entire setup with the Isle of the Lost. Like I do too. In spite of the fact that it's we're going to do it because they're bad, it's kind of like a prison sentence. You, you sent them to Alcatraz, so I'm fine with that. Actually, really like the villains that they picked 
because I feel like this is a Maleficent plan. Mm-hmm. That works. I think Jafar is an underrated villain, and he still, albeit the, that Aladdin at the time of this recording is nearly 30 years old, um, he is uh, he's still so relevant. He's still so relevant, and he's still such a great villain. The Evil Queen, um, she's iconic in Disney canon, so it makes sense. And who doesn't love Cruella Deville? So I mean, who? What were you gonna take, Prince John? You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, you wouldn't use an animal anyway. But I don't think, I, I don't think that you could have used four better characters. I, I, yeah, it works. I'm fine with this. I like that they picked from all different eras of Disney. I mean, you had the first film, obviously, Snow White. You have the Evil Queen. Uh, obviously, Sleeping Beauty was pretty early Early on. 101 Dalmatians was the 60s. And then I kind of wish that they had sort of remained in that era. But you're right. There were a lot of animal movies to come out, too, like Jungle Book and like Robin Hood, like you said. So Right. You're not going to get Radigan. Right. <laughs> so you have to get a person. And I think at this point, it was still too early to do something like take on getting Ursula in this film. Um, so I, I like who they chose. What I love even more about who they chose is the aesthetic and yes. how they channeled the villains through these kids and their wardrobe and their hair. I love everything about the look of of these kids i love the colors i love that it has like a cosplay feel to it and that it's not just like it, it doesn't just look like you slapped halloween costumes on their kids i i think that they drew influence that worked i think it worked for the isle of the lost i think it worked for the movie i think it worked for the characters yeah aesthetically i think they look awesome i think it worked as punk rock Punk rock, steampunk, yeah, it definitely worked. What I question is, while the setup is good, while the characters that they picked, the four villains they picked, I thought were really good, and we'll talk about the cast a little bit later, there isn't anything, there isn't anything for anybody but Maleficent in this. And they all just like willingly and gleefully just go along with it. I mean, I understand they want to get off of the Isle of the Lost. And I understand that they'd like the idea of villains controlling the world. But let's be real. it's They're all kind of just there. Maleficent could have done all of this without any of them. Right. I mean, I don't know that Jafar, Cruella, Evil Queen, and Maleficent are going to go the chosen family route and make the best of their situation. Right. But I feel like Maleficent is the ringleader and she's treating the rest of them as their henchmen. These are some of Disney's best villains. They should all have an equal stake in this. For sure. And that's not to say that they don't... I mean, the their, their goal is clear to take over again, to come to power again, but they shouldn't just let her be calling the shots. 
considering that all of them are so evil and for the most part wildly intelligent. I mean, listen, we just talked about Cruella a couple of weeks ago. We've talked about her at length as we have reviewed the 101 Dalmatian films. I think Cruella is a lot of fun in this movie. I think she's very funny. But let's call it what it is. Horace and Jasper, in in spite of themselves and, and the fact that they do trip over themselves time after time, she wrangles all these dogs up, but ultimately they're going to do the dirty work. Mm-hmm. But the evil queen, very intelligent, played on Snow White's emotions. Jafar, very intelligent, played on the emotions of Aladdin. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like Cruella's just along for the ride. She, She's added comic relief. But I don't know that that's necessary because I think both the Evil Queen and Jafar also serve as comic relief here. Maleficent is funny in that she is so theatrical, but it's what you expect out of Maleficent. I will spoil one thing that I have to say here because I, for those who have not heard me say this before, don't send me any hate mail. I really don't like Hocus Pocus at all. I don't. I watch it every year because I have nostalgia with it, but it's no- I've never liked it, though. I didn't like it as a kid. I don't like it now. And I really did not like Kathy Najimy in it. I found her to be more annoying than anything else. Kathy Najimy, to me, is redeemed in this movie because I think she's hilarious in this movie. And I thought it was really interesting that that's the turn they took with the evil queen. I really thought it worked here. But this is sort of my point. And even Jafar is like this shady shop owner that only sells stolen goods. He's like straight off of Canal Street. I love it. Again, very funny. But you've got funny and funny. I wish... I wish maybe Cruella would have played a a different role in this. I also don't think that she had nearly enough screen time. Kathy and Jimmy. Cruella. Oh, Cruella. Well, yeah. I mean, none of them really did, though. I felt that they all they all had equal screen time. She didn't have as much dialogue, though. Yes. I feel like even though they sort of relegated the evil queen, Jafar, and Cruella as the comic relief slash henchmen to Maleficent, I still feel like evil queen and Jafar got more speaking lines and more they were more involved in pushing the story forward than Cruella was. And the same, I think that trickles down to the kids as well. Obviously Mal is the main character. Um, I wouldn't call Evie her sidekick, but I feel like Jay and Carlos are the sidekicks to the two girls. They are. And they, Carlos especially, they're the comic relief when it comes to the four kids. Right. And that's where story wise, this does get a little clunky for me, too, because what you're led to believe in that opening number, which we are going to talk about the music more specifically, but I kind of got the impression that they were all working together. And then once they go over the bridge into Oradon, it seems like they hardly know each other. 
and they're not really friends. And I, I get it. That's the arc of the movie is that they are figuring out how to work together and they realize that they do care for each other. But I kind of got the impression that, okay, they're not friends, but you are working together as a community on the aisle, sort of like Walking Dead, how they didn't start out as friends, but they knew that they had to band together in order to survive. I thought that's what was going on here. But then they're not really sticking together once they get over to the school. Yeah, let's talk about them getting to the school here. Because you're right. It seems like from the moment they get there, um, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, from the moment they get there, to your point, there's Mal and then there's everyone else. Like, I think this would have played off better if the four of them would have arrived gung-ho, this is the plan, and Evie, Carlos, and Jay slowly start like assimilating into this Aradon hierarchy, and Mal is the one that is like gung-ho, no, this is the plan, we're sticking to it, we're evil, this is what we want. It seems like as soon as they enter that dormitory, the other three are like, oh, this is great! And it, it just seems like it happens a little too fast. It's like breaking Amish. Yeah, for sure. Um, no, and it's kind of weird because they all have personal stakes in this, which is not only t for evil to take over, they all have a common ground in that they can't disappoint their parents. They, they don't want to let them down. They're afraid of the repercussions. And I mean, think about it. Your parents are the most evil people in the world. You know there's going to be some serious punishment mm -hmm. if you don't follow through with this so that should have been the thing that they bonded over being that they were not bonded already instead you do have evie carlos and jay becoming enamored with this other world which is fine but then mal needs to be the one to keep wrangling them back in and saying no we have to execute my mother's plan which she doesn't really do either because she keeps dipping her toes in the water too if they're going to do it they have to slow it down they have to give it room to breathe and make it black and white draw that line for sure now we get introduced to some more characters we get introduced to the fairy godmother love her Love her. She's dancing with Don. <laughs> I know. That's all I can think about. Um, yeah, she was. That was great. Um, but similarly, the look is the look is there. The 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 colors on all of these characters, because we talked about it with the kids, but it carries over for the rest of the cast and it works. It totally works. I love what they did here with the costumes. Oh, the costumes and the cinematography are incredible how they all work in harmony together because you do have such bright col colors that are representing the original film like the beast has or i'm sorry ben has the blue and yellow throughout yeah this mashup of bright colors shouldn't work together so well but it does it's beautiful they pour it on a little too heavy too early with the wand though it's like as soon as mal gets there where's your wand where do you keep the wand you know that wand i want to see the wand it's like again slow things down give these things room to breathe because I said before you, you kind of rush through things in TV movies but at two hours and 15 minutes long it's a long television movie I feel like you didn't need to rush certain elements so fast I agree it 
rushes in weird places and it breeds in weird places. Yeah. We meet Audrey, who's like perfectly annoying. <laughs> I didn't, that didn't get old for me. Oh my God. It made me cringe every single time. Oh, really? I hated it. Oh, no. I, you know why I didn't hate it? Because when Mal did it, it's so tongue in cheek. That's why to me it was funny when she would do it in response. It just dragged for me. I mean, look, the whole thing, it still doesn't help Maleficent's case, as annoying as Audrey is. Like, at this point, you should kind of be like, ah, I kind of see Maleficent's side of this. But it doesn't help that they call it out. It's like, you know, oh, and, uh, you know, she, this is Mal and Audrey are going back and forth with each other oh you did this and you did this well it's not my mother's fault that your grandparents invited an entire village out to a birthday party except one person it's like don't call out how ridiculous this is right because it it didn't it was kind of weak then but the more you call it out it gets even weaker something that i wish we would have seen more of the children of the seven dwarfs because I really liked Dopey's son, Doug, when they introduce him here. And when he looks at Evie and he, he says, hi, ho, is it should not be funny, but it works. And I thought we were going to get more of them, but you only get him. But it's weird because they reference the other dwarfs, but it's Carlos that references the other dwarfs because, right. I mean, look, he's dopey son Doug, so he's going to be a little dopey. So he's never going to remember all of them. But it's weird that it's Carlos that can call back to them and reference them, but not always. I mean, I guess they're playing up on the dopey thing, but I thought there would be more of them as the movie went on and it doesn't happen. And likewise on the aisle, too. I thought maybe we'd get a couple more cameos or even if, if Jafar had Iago or something. Yes. I thought they were, you know, since they bothered, I thought they were going to pepper in more recognizable things that we knew. Let me ask you about something that's recognizable and something that perhaps you know. As being a fan of Harry Potter, I understand we have this tourney team. It's Quidditch, right? I mean, not the exact same thing, but, like, they had to find their version of Quidditch, and this is what they came up with, this hybrid of, like, field hockey, lacrosse, and ultimate Frisbee. I get where you would think that, but this game was actually inspired by the Irish game Hurling. Okay. It doesn't change the fact that they stuck in here this fantastical game and it just feels like something they pulled from the Harry Potter movies no I can see where you say that but I mean you did have to have some kind of sport right I mean they're at a school where you dorm and to put a character like Jay in this who you know even though we've said yeah that Jay Carlos and Evie sort of fall sort of take the back seat when it comes to Mal. They are acting as the brain, the muscle, the techie. So you did need to give Jay some other sort of outlet. Otherwise, he wouldn't have had enough of a character arc and he wouldn't have served a purpose other than being Mal's right hand. I'm glad you bring up Harry Potter, though, because that was something 
that I was thinking about when you talk about a film and granted it was a book first, obviously, but when you think about their age group and you think about their, their living at the place that they go to school, you know, Harry Potter managed to do it without falling victim to the high school tropes. So if they had done something like that here, and it's different because obviously Harry Potter spanned over seven books and it was more coming of age because they started as children and going high, going through high school was a part of it. They just did it so well because they didn't, they didn't pander into those tropes. So I feel like if this had modeled itself more in line with Harry Potter and less with High School Musical, it would have been a lot more effective. You're talking about the books of the movies because the Harry Potter movies are insufferably bad. You can't, you can't watch them. Well, I mean, maybe it's not a fair comparison because the films did, except for, you know, leaving out hundreds and hundreds of pages because you have to, they did stick pretty close to the source material, which was a book. So maybe maybe that is why, in my mind, it feels better and it, do- it doesn't feel like a high school movie. Makes sense. It shouldn't. But I'm saying this, this could have taken a page from that book. Pun not intended. What I like that they do here is that Mal targets Jane. Yes. I really like that this is... A decision that they made that she was going to target the weakling let's just call it what it is um you know the fairy godmother is a teacher slash ombudsman slash dean of this entire school that they're going to in oridon and i get the feeling that jane is sort of embarrassed by her mother's success because her mom dotes on her all of the time and she feels like she's a cast out it's so on brand for a villain to play with the emotion of somebody who is a cast out. I love that they went here. I wish we would have seen more of it. Yeah, I love that it takes a little mean girl's turn here, and I wish that they would have leaned into that more. I do love the scene, though, where she makes her hair longer. I don't know why it keeps reminding me of Cher and Ty and Clueless, but not in a rip way. I just love it. I wish they would have just poached more good kids. It would have been an interesting way to introduce us to the children of more of the iconic Disney characters. They do it with Mulan's daughter because they make her hair grow long too. But it would have been interesting to see them poach some more and more of these kids. And I think that it would have made what Mal was doing a lot more evil because now she's lying to so many other people because in this case most of most of the kids there other than Ben don't want them there right if she would have you know garnered their trust to stab them in the back it would have been the ultimate maleficent move it would have been the ultimate evil move and i wish that they just would have played up on that a little bit more and poach some more of these kids so that she could basically lie her way into fitting in. Which ultimately is kind of what she does do, but they do it in a totally different way. Right. And, 
Yeah, it would have it would have been a lot more interesting to see her developing relationships with people instead of <sighs> she sort of becomes popular. Yeah. Which I mean, she does it we haven't gotten to the date yet, but she does it because she becomes Ben's girlfriend. But for somebody who is so evil, because I think that she is when this movie starts, I think she is legitimately evil. I feel like it would have been more on brand for her instead of being popular for being the girlfriend if she would have taken control ultimately of the situation. Now you can say that she did because she tricked him and she put a, a spell on him, but I just feel like if she would have... If she would have been appealing to the masses and it was all an elaborate ruse, it would have made for a more interesting story. And I feel like, not to get too far ahead, but I feel like it would have paid off a lot more at the croquet game, where instead of getting called out by Audrey's grandmother for things that happened in the past, it would have been better to just expose Mal rather than point the finger at her. In other words, blame her for something that she did now that directly affects you as opposed to holding what her mother did against her. For sure. Now we start developing, though, this plan is starting to roll into motion here. Um, I want to talk about some of the relationships that get formed, and I want to talk about this tourney game. Um, Shearwood Falcons, I love the plant that they tip it back to Shearwood Forest. Two things that I find sort of confusing here. Well, one is one is confusing and one is interesting. I don't know why they named them the Falcons. That has nothing to do with Robin Hood. Um I guess if you called them the foxes or the bears or the lions or the tigers, perhaps it's too on brand. Perhaps it's too on the nose. But we talked before about how you wouldn't use a Prince John or a Radican because they're animals. Sherwood Forest was all animals. You don't see one human being in Sherwood Forest. Right. So where did all of these human beings come from in Sherwood Forest? You know what I'm saying? It's you're playing the Shearwood Falcons. That's the team they're playing in Tourney. They're not playing against animals. They're playing against humans. Right. Where did all these humans come from? Because there's not one human in the Robin Hood film. Well, I think that that was the point. This film and the world that they created for Oridon is based on all of the fairy tales. Robin Hood is a story that's been told and retold a million times, but because Disney did it with animals, I think that was their way of tipping the cap towards it without having to address getting those characters into this film. I suppose. I just wish I knew what the Falcon was. I know maybe they didn't want to be too on the nose, but you had to... I mean, it could have been the Shearwood Arrows. You know, it didn't need to be an animal. I just don't understand why it's a falcon. Or the lions, if you really wanted to hat tip towards Prince John. A tiger. He was a tiger. His brother, the king. Yes. Which, again, strange. But (laughs) at this point, we're just going to go with it. Um, It's at the same time 
that you see two relationships start to really get fleshed out. One that's legitimate and one that's illegitimate. I want to talk about the legitimate one first. Evie. Evie is very, very smart. She's trying to dumb herself down because she's trying to win the affection of Chad, Cinderella's son, who is every kid that I wanted to beat the crap out of in high school. (laughs) At the same time, you have Dopey's son, Doug, and she's sort of overlooking him at first, but when he endears himself to her, when he recognizes how smart she is and how she's sort of playing down her intelligence to Chad and how Chad really has no interest in her other than he wants her to do his homework. The relationship that starts to develop with Doug, I really, really loved that this is what they did. I do too, but here is my problem with Evie. I get what she's trying to do by playing dumb, but the problem is the first time they set that up, she asks her magic mirror for the answer to the, what is it, the atomic weight of silver or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Because she had to go to the magic mirror for the answer and she didn't know it herself, it was very confusing. It's not until about halfway through the movie where you start to see she was playing dumb the whole time. But that sets it up to make it seem like she is. It's it's not clear. It's to not your point, it's not clear. They're trying to make her like the stereotypical fashionista that all she cares about is the clothes and the makeup and this and that, which is very in line with Evil Queen. So I get where the opposite, it's great to juxtapose it against she's really smart and she doesn't want to reveal that to her mother. But the magic mirror, they should have just left that alone. And not made her go to the mirror for the answer. I would agree with you there. Um, I like that you're starting to get this conflict with all of the kids. There's a conflict between the fear of their parents and the fear of disappointing their parents. And it becomes a very, very blurred line. I thought that was really smart. And I thought that it made a good springboard for what happens next with Ben and Mal. Because now Mal has given Ben this love potion cookie. And... A potion cookie. A potion cookie. A love potion cookie. Got it. Um, And he very publicly dumps Audrey at the tourney game. And there's a song involved, and we'll discuss the song, but you're sitting here shaking your head right now. Because nobody is ever going to do it better than Heath Ledger in 10 Things I Hate About You. I'm sorry. Go home. You're drunk. Nobody. It, it, it's just the best. I like 10 Things I Hate About You. Another hot take. I don't love it. I like it. Not the tar- target demographic. I like can't hardly wait more than 10 things I hate about you. I see I can't really get into it. I love can't hardly wait. But that's a different conversation for another day. So he has this very public breakup of Audrey and this and this admission of love for Mal. Of course, it's the potion that's that's talking. Which by the way, the commentator for this tourney game throughout oh. the entire thing calling out the game, calling out everybody's weaknesses, and then 
narrating this hilarious. It's hilarious. It's just weird that he's standing on the sideline with a microphone stand instead of being in a broadcast booth. Oh, I don't care. It, he's just so funny. But see, that's where I buy into the magic. I wouldn't have even needed a microphone stand. I would. Well, this is Harry Potter. They they do like a spell to project the voice. So I would have been fine if magic just made him louder. Well, we're not even here to discuss him. We're here to discuss this date. Let me just point this out because I kind of, okay, I'm going to admit something. When we saw this movie for the first time, I had like two bottles of wine in me when we sat (laughs) to watch this. And admittedly, that was a couple of years ago. So sitting here to watch it this week. It was like two. It wasn't that that long ago. See, two. It's a couple of years ago. I kind of wondered, like, am I remembering this the right way or is it the booze talking? (laughs) Let's just call it what it is. He's not even celebrated his 16th birthday yet. So at the age of 15, player shows up with a charcuterie board and one (laughs) bathing suit. I can't be the only one that sits there and thinks this is a little off-putting. No, you're right, because I was watching it and I thought it was just me. Aside from the fact that I don't buy this from a high school boy, even if he is a prince, it's a very mature date. And then I dare say it starts to feel a little naughty when it shouldn't. One bathing suit for two people. What's she supposed to do? Yeah, and I couldn't figure out. Like, and I, 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 I feel uncomfortable saying it because they're fifteen years old. But I mean, that's. I mean, I'm telling you what happens in the movie. I, I didn't write it. Don't get mad at me. No, you just said it though. I think they wrote themselves into a corner. I think they needed this magical setting, and it is. It's beautiful, but I think because they had to get the plot point in there of him washing away the spell they just made it very very awkward so I get that we needed to see that happen but this awkward and uncomfortable scene is compounded with it gets very clunky because Mal is singing her solo and I don't want to get into the music just yet yeah we're a few minutes away This does relate to story here. I think this scene should have been a duet. And I believe you do hear Ben's voice on the track when Dove Cameron is singing. So I think that this was meant to be a duet. But again, they got pigeonholed into the story of, okay, he's got to wash away the spell. You could have had them singing in two different places. Yep. And then it takes care of him going for a swim. And I think it would have been more powerful for her to be off on her own because at this point, they're making it all about her wrestling her feelings with Ben. This should be about more about her wrestling her feelings about how she's going to answer to her mother. And she knows that she wants to belong in this world now. That should have been the focus. You didn't 
need to muddle it with the love story, especially because that's exactly it. Everything is muddled here and it's awkward, uncomfortable and clunky. Look, I think all of us at some point in our life as teenagers, you're on a date or you're with somebody you like, you're flirting, you're teasing. Everybody has thrown someone in the water or splashed somebody in the pool. It could have just been that ma- that he said something kind of like tongue-in-cheek, off-putting, and she just splashed him, and it would have worked. Him showing up with one bathing suit. I know I'm harping on this, but let's just call it what it is. It, I mean, it's wildly inappropriate. Yeah, or if he fell in, but you're right. Or she pushed him and he fell in. Yes, because the fact that he expected her to go swimming, and then what? What did you think was going to happen? Unless maybe they just didn't delve into it enough if he knew that it was going to wash away the spell because I think he knew he was under the spell. Maybe he thought it would wash away her bad magic. I I don't know. But it gets even worse because then she goes in to save him when... He's drowning in two feet of water. Yeah, waist which, deep in water. Which I don't want to discount because that's a serious problem. Like, it, it, children drowning is no joke. Yeah, he's six feet tall. He's not a child. He's got a six pack. <laughs> but the other weird thing is that where he ends up in the water, we should see him when she's singing. How did he even get over there? This whole scene is a disaster. And the, and the, the shame of it is it's supposed to be what makes the entire movie. This, in- this scene is what is supposed to really make the whole movie because this is where Mal is starting to really be conflicted. And it doesn't work. No. At all. Let's fast forward a little bit because now they're a thing. Mal doesn't know yet that he is aware and that the potion has worn off, but they're a thing. Then you have parents weekend and their parents can't come. Fine. I buy it. I love the substitute with the FaceTime that they can't figure out this technology. That was that was a good... It actually comes at the perfect time because you're so weirded out by this date. You get a little bit of relief here. Yeah, lighthearted comedy. And then Aurora's grandmother goes off and causes a scene. Yeah. And it's really, really, really... It's a it it happened. It's a thing. It's a reach and it escalates too quickly. Yeah. Can someone smack Chad, please? <laughs> yes. Because Chad he knows exactly what's happening. It escalates too fast. Again, this is this is an op- this is an opportunity for them to let something breathe. It doesn't. And Chad who has been trying to, even though it was just to have her do the homework, is trying to win the affection of Evie, even though it's all fake. Like, flips on a dime, turns on a dime. Because other than him pushing for her to do his assignments for him, I mean, I think there's once or twice that he mentions that he doesn't necessarily trust that they're there. But he is not an opponent to them being there either. Right. Not that vocal. So he kind of just turns on a dime just because it's time to. 
it he turns on a dime and puts his hands on Evie. So or was it Mal? It doesn't matter which one it was. It 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 he put his hands on one of them so that he and Jay would scuffle, and now everybody thinks that the evil kids are exactly that. They're evil to cause trouble. Right. And that's what this whole scene is building towards, right? It's just that you want to put them in a position that makes everyone else vindicated and say, look, we were right. These kids are as bad as we thought. And I get it. That's going to be your plot point where it all falls apart on them. Things are going good. They've sort of come to their decision that dealing with the repercussions won't and the punishment won't be as bad as actually disappointing their parents. They're willing to live with the disappointment because they know that they could be happy here. So, of course, somebody's going to burst their bubble. Uh, but there just could have been a better build to make it that way. If, if you're going to give the good people, quote unquote, their aha moment and make them feel justified you didn't set these kids up for a big enough failure to circle back to what you said with Chad flipping on a dime though. I buy that because even though he didn't really have a stock one way or the other in these kids being here, Chad is just interested in Chad. He's all about his own self-interest. And we get that when, as soon as Audrey breaks up with Ben, she goes to Chad and he's like, Oh yeah. He doesn't care that she was with Ben. What he cares about is this looks good. We're both royalty. This is going to work. All he cares about is the optic. So I don't care that he flipped. I think it's perfectly in line with his character. Here's the problem, though. The optic is exactly the problem with this scene. Audrey's grandmother is making a scene because Maleficent's daughter is there, who she at first mistakes for Maleficent. The two of them that couldn't was look more different. That was but, bad. You know, all right, whatever. Um, she herself has caused enough of a scene where the eyes of the entire parent weekend are on the four of these kids as her grandmother is screaming and yelling and throwing a fit. So everybody saw Chad put his hands on one of the girls... They all watched Jay defend one of the girls that Chad put his hands on, and we all blame Jay and and the other three. Nobody thinks to blame Chad for putting his hands on one of the girls. The, the whole thing fails. The whole thing fails. You are to tell me that at a parent's weekend, a young man puts his hands on a young girl, another young man steps up to defend her, and he's the problem? I don't buy it. That's what I'm saying. It escalates too quickly, and this is what I was talking about before when you had suggested that it would have made for a better story if Mal had won everybody over, but she was doing it by lying and cheating. If this is where she got exposed, and then everybody was like, oh, you did the exact thing we expected of you, then yes, then it makes sense for everything to fall apart. But no, this is just these kids were in the wrong place at the wrong time. They got villainized. And then they walk away and they go, no, 
we're going to go through with this plan. And it's not Mal and the other three are there to tag along. The four of them are like, in this together, we are going to execute this plan because they turned on us. Well, you had to. Because the entire time, the three of them, like I said before, have had personal stake because they didn't want to disappoint their parents. But now you had to give them a reason to support Mal and to want to do this instead of feel like they have to do it. But you know what? I kind of wish that this is what would have pushed them to going full evil again. Like, I kind of wished, and I still do, watching it, as I have a couple of times, if this would have become like the Suicide Squad. Like, if they would have been like this anti-hero villain group that's going to go and and pull this off, I wish it would have turned the movie on its head, it would have made a great twist, and I wish they would have really leaned into this. Yeah, and just had them rain holy hell down on this school. Not for anything. I've said it before. I don't need to know why Michael Myers is Michael Myers. I don't need to know why Freddy Krueger is Freddy Krueger. Sometimes evil's evil, and that's okay. No, and they could have pulled it off because Mal's got her book, so she can cast any spell that's in there. Evie's got the mirror. You just needed to give Jay and Carlos a little something more because Carlos is a tech wizard, but unless you do something with that, you're going to relegate him to being like the guy in the chair as opposed to having a power, and then... Jay's muscle is not going to it's not going to do anything to put the school in its place. Here's what you could have done. Because Jay is a thief, Mal works her magic, but Jay is the one that secures the wand. With Carlos, not that you're ever going to see them do it. He does have Duke, the school dog, and he is Cruella DeVille's son. Mm. Could play up on that a little bit. Not that he's ever going to do anything to the dog, but there's the optic that he's going to do something to the dog, and that could distract everybody just enough so that Jay and Mal can get this wand. Or This, This is the plan as it plays out. Or because Carlos, and I love that that that's, the juxtaposition against his evil mother is that he has a man's best friend. It's great. But lean into that the same way they did in Cruella. Have Duke help you steal the wand. And because he's a tech guy, Carlos could have gone in there and got that wand by himself by deactivating the system and then sending Duke in to help him. Yeah. He didn't need the other three of them. They could have gotten that wand. But I do like how it ends up playing out at the coronation. Yeah. Um, I like that leading up to it, Ben has revealed that he's known all along Mm -hmm. uh, that it was a spell and that he was never really under the spell because he does truly care for her. Uh, That's the final push that Mal needs to make her decision. I love how up until the last possible second, Mal is very conflicted over what she wants to do and they bait and switch us. Uh, Because I definitely wasn't expecting it to be Jane, especially because it was such a minor throwaway line that uh, when when Mal does her hair in the first place and she says, oh, what about my nose? And she said, oh, you could just get your mom to do it for you. 
she can do anything with that wand, and that's why Jane wants the wand. Well, not just that, but she also plants it in her head. I think she says something like, she did it for old Cindy, but she won't do it for her own daughter. Yes. So she plants that that little seed of doubt and that little seed of aggression in Jane, and this is where it plays out. I like that they do that here. I agree with you. I like that Ben outs himself as having not been under the spell the whole time, but I think it speaks to him as a character. I think it speaks to him as a king. Um, I think that it was a smart move. I totally buy that this character will behave this way. Um, and I did like the twist with Jane. I thought it made sense. I thought it was sort of interesting that when they broke the force field on the Isle of the Lost, where all of these villains are, and four of them are in this plan to take over the world, that only one of them escaped when all of them want off of this island, thought that was a little, thought that was questionable. How well, do the four of them not, sh- how do at least the four of them not show up together? The one that can fly got there, but she didn't even fly. She, didn't she fly. just appeared. She could have had them. And that, what an entrance that would have been if she already morphed into the dragon and they fly in on her back. Would have been awesome. Yeah, I mean, I I really like the reveal of the wand when it's revealed to be Jane. Um, And what I also really like is it never occurs to Mal to use the wand. It's always just the conflict of, do I turn it over or not? She's never actually going to do anything with it. And Ben knows that all along. He's not afraid to stand in front of it when she's holding it. I I really like the relationship between as as awkward as their date is. What I love is that he truly sees her and sees the good in her and makes her believe the best in herself. For sure. But there is just as much of Mal figuring that out for herself. It's not just because of a boy's attention. And I like that Mal basically uses the power of good to turn her mother into a lizard. I think the fairy godmother said her mother shrunk down to the size of her love in her heart or whatever it was and went from a dragon to a lizard. Um, I like that it wasn't like actual combat and that they didn't just outspell each other. She just used this power of good to accomplish it. I agree. I just feel like the part where Maleficent is actually a dragon drags on a little bit because the CGI is pretty bad oh yeah and she's also trying to chase down jay for reasons that don't really make sense because he tried to get the scepter right but why but this is between her and her kid honestly the best thing that comes out of this scene is when the evil queen says that snow white's had work done yes that's the best (laughs) thing that comes out of this scene um what really turns me off and it's kind of dumb is when the fairy godmother is unfrozen for some reason and unfreezes the rest of them and then goes to punish Jane and Mal says oh take it easy on her you know blah 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 and she goes oh I guess so but you're in for a major time out she's 16 she's like 16 years old she's gonna get a major time out at 16 she talked to her like she was seven it's the fairy godmother. She's not going to punish anyone. 
You don't give a six year a sixteen year old a timeout. No, you don't. But I feel like what what would the fairy godmother do as a punishment? I mean, it's it's just that you're you're giving a sixteen year old a timeout. Is it's just it's very bad screenwriting. I don't care what her punishment is. It's a timeout to a teenager. But that's it's what I'm saying. Bad As, when you think about the character, though, what did she do? She made it so that Cindy could sneak out behind her stepmother's back, go to the ball, and then she gave her a curfew. Which they call out, and I love. That's actually. what I'm saying, though. It's like the most grandma punishment ever. Like, well, I have to discipline you, but you know I'm not really going to. When Maleficent says you couldn't give her till 1 a.m., yeah. really? That whole thing was good. That is well, good. Also, you know, there's nothing that said that she had to punish her at all. She may have been intent on punishing her, but is but Mal could have changed her mind. What I really wish is if they had sort of pushed another message through here especially with so many young girls being a fan of this show is that Jane has enough punishment with all of these body positivity issues that she's got yeah that's true that's very true she's got enough on her plate to deal with like if the fairy godmother had recognized that a little bit more it would have been far better screenwriting and you would have delivered a albeit quick, but important message. All right, let's talk about some of these characters and the players that bring them to life, starting with Dove Cameron as Mal. I like Dove Cameron, and I like the character. I I mean, I got nothing else to tell you. I I like the actress. I like the character. Oh, I loved Mal, and I think Dove Cameron did such a great job. I, I think she gave her just the right amount of sass and attitude, but the way that she layered the good in there, and, and I think to play such a conflicted character at such a young age, I think she did a really great job. Sophia Carson plays Evie. Again, I liked her. I thought I liked her sass. I did like the fact that she too was conflicted. Um, yeah, I thought she was just very good casting. I'm obsessed with Evie. I love her clothes. I love her hair. I love everything about her character. And I love, we didn't get to talk about this. I love the bond that her and Mal form. Um, especially the scene where she applies her makeup before the date. I feel like that should have come earlier. And I Mm. feel like there should have been more bonding about the situation that they're in with their mothers. Yeah. Boo Boo Stewart plays Jay, son of Jafar. I think that putting him on the tourney team, while I don't necessarily think that we needed this fantastical sport, I think putting him there was the right thing to do because I think that it opened him up to be a far more endearing and selfless character once they got him there. I agree. I, I really like the character, but I think the reason I like him so much... I mean, sure, who doesn't love the the tough, brooding guy that's actually got a heart of gold? Uh, but he reminds me so much of Rufio. I think that he he looks like him. I think the character's just like him. Uh, but yeah, I, I love Jay. Cameron Boyce plays Carlos. Now, Cameron Boyce, as everybody knows... If you are a Disney fan, unfortunately, passed away very young. 
they had filmed the third De- uh, Descendants movie. He passed away about a month before it premiered. And I know so many people loved him in this movie. And honestly, I can completely understand why. Because Carlos is a great character. He's a lot of fun. But I don't think he's as good as the actor who played him. I agree. I said that while we were watching it. I was like, this kid is just so endearing. And that's not to say that I didn't believe the character that he played. I just think... It, it's one of those rare roles where like the actor shines through just as much as the character and you just sort of fall in love with both of them. Um, I, I had said that to you. I can see why everybody was so upset when he passed. He's a great dancer too. All, they they all, all are. Well, oh my I God. thought the whole cast was, but yeah. the four of them in particular. But yeah, he was excellent. Melanie Paxson plays the fairy godmother. I said it before. She's dancing with Don. We know her from Saving Mr. Banks. She's absolutely perfect casting. I believe she was also in Once as well. Not as the fairy godmother, but um, I think she was in there. Uh, yeah, she's she's perfect at playing these like really bubbly roles. Yeah. Mitchell Hope plays Ben. I like him. I actually thought he played him really well because... There's a fine line that you kind of tiptoe here between being cheesy and endearing. And I felt that he towed the line really well. I would agree. What impressed me most about the character and the way that he portrayed him is that he sees the good in everyone without ever expecting anything in return. Like it's never about him he never wants anything for himself. He's just, he just wants what's best for everyone. Uh, you know, and I give him a lot of credit too, because he's got these gigantic Zac Efron shoes to fill. Yep. Um, so I think he handled, you know, the Disney leading man very well. And I can certainly appreciate that, you know, he knew what he was getting himself into signing on for three movies and didn't try and, uh, Shake off the Disney image. Brenna D'Amico plays Jane. What I like so much about her is that you don't see the twist coming with Jane in the film, but I think she does a good job portraying her that while you're shocked that she is the one that steals the wand, you're not angry about it. Like there's a weird part of you that's rooting for her. I would agree, especially in that great moment where her and Lonnie rip their skirts once they have the hair, they want the clothes to go with it. I, I love that moment. Uh, Keegan Connor Tracy and Dan Payne play Belle and Beast. They don't do it. They don't no. do it for me. No. You and know she it, was in once too. I think they cheesed him up too much. Both of them. They, like 90s parents, troped them. Maybe that was the style they were going for, but it doesn't work. Yeah, as the clueless parent, I don't buy at all for a second that this is our bell and the beast. And I, and I mean, I know there's a certain amount of suspending your disbelief because there's some things that you have to overlook with the villains that you've come to know and love. But 
that's why I'm saying I don't buy it that the Beast was the one to, to banish them all to an island. It's just so out of character and it goes against everything that they learned in their own story. And I know that I have to let go of some of that to, to believe in this world. But if I'm focusing just on what we have and not their own movie, they still fall flat. I don't even know if I buy them as a king and queen, period. You, They could have been anybody and that's the right, thing. Right. Like they're super cheesy in the dance scenes that they are in like be our guest we'll talk about the music here in just a few moments but they are okay time to be supportive parents time to be surprised parents time to be concerned parents time to be angry parents like they're just so 101 and very robotic a hundred percent. Wendy Raquel Robinson plays Cruella DeVille I really liked how manic she was here I thought that it's it's I mean look it's not an overly interesting Cruella Deville but it didn't need to be I felt like I was watching Cruella Deville I think for what they had her do she knocked it out of the park I wish we would have seen more of her especially because when she reacts to Carlos bonding with Duke yeah that's where it would have been so much more effective if they all came to Oridon with Maleficent. To see that play out and her confront him in person, that would have been awesome. Maz Jobrani plays Jafar. I like this Jafar more than the one that we got in the beauty or in the uh, Aladdin live action movie. I agree. I, and I like what they did with the character that he's like a shyster salesman. I feel like that's like that is totally Jafar's retirement project, right? Look, I mean, looks the part, age appropriate. Funny, smarmy, he had it going on. Not that he had a lot of speaking lines, but when he did open his mouth, I couldn't help but laugh. I would honestly watch an entire spinoff series of him and Jay operating this bazaar. Like if they did like a Pawn Stars, like, like a, The Office or, oh my God, or that's Modern brilliant. Family, that's and it was just brilliant. all of these Disney relics, Done. I would Done. sign up for that. Kathy Najimy is the evil queen. I said it before. She redeemed herself. She was funny. I thought she looked good in the makeup. This, to me, is what redeems her in Disney. That's a hot take, and I don't care. I've always liked Kathy Najimy. I love her as Mary Sanderson. What I didn't like, though, because... It was supposed to be a hat, tip, a hat tip, but it feels derivative. This is the second movie directed by Kenny Ortega where she is throwing popcorn at a television. And it's funny when she does it as Mary because she's barking at the television and she doesn't know what a television is. It doesn't really work here. Uh, but I do like how they leaned into the vanity and that that's, you know, her her negative trait that she bestowed upon her daughter. Kristen Chenoweth as Maleficent. Not really a fan. That's a lie. I'm kidding. That's I'm a, ki that's what a do you think I'm going to say? Lie. How long do you want me to sit here and gush for? How much time do we have? I'm not going to say she was better than Angelina Jolie because they were played in completely different ways. Oh, for sure. But she works 100%. I'm just going to say she's the best talent in the film. I don't think that anybody is offended by me saying that you shouldn't be. 
What is it like for you being such a fan of Wicked to see her play the evil role? See, that's the weird part, right? Because I'm so used to her as Glinda. Like, when Idina came up off of Wicked and got cast in a Disney movie, I was beside myself. I was so happy for her because I knew how enormously talented she was and that she was finally getting her due. In this case, obviously, I mean, The Descendants really did take off. It, it wasn't quite the Frozen phenomenon, but it was nice to see the spotlight on Kristen Chenoweth. It was just very weird for me to get my mind around her being an evil character because she is so tied to Glinda in my mind. Um, I'm certainly not going to compare her to Angelina Jolie because those were two very different movies and two completely different interpretations on the character. What I will actually compare her to is Jafar, believe it or not. Not in this film, but what I love about Jafar in the animated Aladdin is how much panache this character has. And I think that that's what Kristen Chenoweth bought that we haven't seen in these modern day villains that we are sorely missing from the Renaissance films is these very snazzy villains like Hades, like yes. Ursula. Yeah. So I think she gave it that quality more than just her purple glittery eyeshadow, which was amazing and i i loved the costume i actually liked her horns better than angelina jolie's they were a little bit more what you'd expect to see from the animated film and i guess that's it right because this is a musical so you're going to have that that bit of flash and that pop and i i think that she did it perfectly for sure especially because she's pint size so she had to project herself and make her so much bigger she really made it work let's talk about the music starting with the first song rotten to the core it certainly is i hate this song. <gasps> i hate it Ooh. i like the title it's bad lip sync with edm the kids can Whoa. dance the kids can dance really well I don't typically say that I hate anything on this show. I hate this song. I will give you that it is very repetitive, and I'm not just talking about the chorus. I can core rotten to the core core. I can live with that uh, because I feel like the choreography lent itself so well to that chorus. But the song, all of the songs are actually very repetitive. I feel like the verses repeat. It's it's just the same words over and over, and that goes for everything across the board. But I love this number. I love the set of the island. Uh, I love how they are going through all these warehouses and markets, and you know they're like pushing fabrics aside and sliding down things. Uh, it reminds me very much, and it should, of Newsies. Yep. Um, and and I think just the way the the color is used and the way that it's shot, um, I think it's such a strong start. I I would here's the thing though, because there are so many issues with story here, I would like this better as a music video than I do in the film. And I and I think this is supposed to be like what the springboard of the film is. This was supposed to be, you know, because this is what they used in all the promotions and stuff for it. 
I think this is a better showcase than what the rest of the film is. Um, maybe for choreography. I think every song after this gets better. I think the song right after this is the best number in the movie, which is Evil Like Me, which is sung by Kristen Chenoweth. It's a crazy amount of fun. It's so unique. It's such a stark contrast from that horrible EDM music. I love it. It's the best number in the movie. It reminds me of something you'd hear in like Chicago. It's like very traditional Broadway. Of course, you're going to give Kristen Chenna with a song like this. I love that they let her hit her Chenna note at the end of it. That really high note that like no one can do except for her. Um, I really wish they would have leaned into this like wax museum a little bit more Uh, because we didn't really talk about that when they first go and hunt down the wand. They see their parents as like wax figures. I don't want to say statues because they're they're just sort of frozen there. And I, you know, the yeah, kids they're, they're on display as a part of you know historical whatever. Right, and the kids are shocked by seeing their parents like this. I wish that they would have. I, I think it would have been more effective if they villainized them more in the way that they were posed. Like you just see a still statue. I wish they would have like seen, they would have shown Cruella yelling at a dog or something or shown Jafar with his step scepter. And instead you've got them in these like dancey poses, which works in the musical number, but I feel like they could have had a lot more fun if the, if the villains were scaring their own children in this scene. And if they had, like, it wouldn't have even bothered me because you don't really know if this is going on in Mal's head or not if they had come to life and, like, sung back up. Right. And I kind of thought that they were all going to come to life. Mm -hmm. But no, it's just Maleficent. Did I mention, this song is fun and it's random, but it's, like, fun nonetheless. It's nonsense. (laughs) This is... This is the song that Ben sings after the tourney match when he's under the influence of his cookie. (laughs) (laughs) It's so awkward that you can't help but love it. This whole song is too long and it is ridiculous. Do you mean that in a bad way? Yes. Oh, so we're on... so. we're going to disagree on this one the way we did the first one. It is ridiculous, but I like it for how ridiculous it is. I don't know. No, I can't do it. Can't get down with it. If only. I think this is a very good ballad. uh, ballad. It's a nice moment for Mal. The lip sync is off again. This is the song that she sings while they're on that super awkward date. Um... But I like how she kind of plays with the set. It I got this like hopelessly devoted moment mm-hmm. out of her that you saw Olivia Newton-John do in Greece, which is a film that I can't stand at this point in my life. But that song, that scene is what that like that to me still carries so much weight. I get a lot of that here. I agree. And again, it feels very music video ish. It's very cinematic. Uh but it works. 
I just wish if being that they did do it as a solo, I wish she was alone. You know, Ben is supposed to be swimming somewhere behind her and it's awkward that he's not. Conversely, I maintain it would be a better duet. What I don't like here is when she has that, you know, after she sings her song and the music is still kind of playing in the background and Ben goes, do you love me? And she does like this really like hokey soap opera, like turn the other way and goes, I don't know what love feels like. It's so forced. It's so bad. That line should have landed harder. I don't necessarily blame her for this. I think that she can act. We know she can act. I think it should have been like more melancholy. And because it's coming after this rescue where she gets mad that she got wet. Well, do you do you like him or not? The fact that you dove into the water to save him establishes that you care. So you shouldn't get that mad. For sure. And if if that whole scene wasn't so clunky, that line would have been a lot more powerful. They do be our guest. There is no bad version of Be Our Guest. I don't mind that it's acapella. I don't mind that this is really cheesy. And you could tell these kids were totally having fun with it. They were getting into it. Oh, the acapella was great, but I disagree with you. There, There is a bad version of this song. Oh. And, and, and it exists when they rap. You don't need to rap Be Our Guest. Oh, I thought you were talking about live action Beauty and the Beast because that one... No offense to you and McGregor. They just we're gonna talk about it in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um I'll go on all night. Yeah, but they don't rap. They rap here. But Bell and the Beast dancing to it, it's like when you see your parents dance to like jump around. Like <laughs> at somebody's like birthday party. So they they cheese it so much that you're almost so distracted by how ridiculous they are that you forget how off-putting the rap is in Be Our Guest. And it's a shame because the acapella is so good. But there is a part of me that is thinking to myself, you went out of your way to write all of this other music. Could you find something new to have put here? See, I disagree. I think especially because you use Beauty and the Beast, you're going to have some sort of homage to the original. And... This works. They're having a, you know, it's parents weekend. What would you rather have saying? I'll make a man out of you to welcome the parents in. No, just write another original song and we would have been just fine. Set it off is the final musical number in the movie. I could have lived without that. It's all, you know what it is? It's all right, but I can see why kids like it a lot. Because they're all in this together. Yeah. It's basically the same premise but um final thoughts on descendants i'll let you go here's the thing i feel like this is one of those classic cases of concept was better than execution that's not to say that this was a bad movie it's not by any stretch of the imagination but the more i watch it the more problematic it becomes even when i am setting aside every movie that lends itself to this. So 
in other words, you know, if I'm not thinking about Beauty and the Beast and and just focusing on this, it's better. But it is still riddled with story issues on its own. And the more I watch it and the more I focus on them, the more problematic it becomes. So if I'm just watching this as a fun lighthearted, you know, just have it on in the background and and just look at all the flashy colors and listen to some catchy music, then it's great. But story-wise, they had such a great idea and squandered it. Here's my thing. The more and more I have watched it, the more and more I have enjoyed it. So we're kind of differing on that. But I'm never going to like it any more than I like it now. And that's not to say that I love it. It's just to say that I think I like this movie as much as I can like this movie. I'm not sure it's worth this incredible hype that... I I don't know that it's worthy of the pedestal that people have put it on. And I've never said this... In 160 reviews now on Monoreal Radio, I think we're too old for this movie. I was going to say the same thing. I think we're too old for this movie. I didn't want to say it. Yeah, I agree. I think that if we had grown up on it, we would be totally enamored with it. But I think because it falls victim to those high school tropes, I think that's what's off-putting to us. No, I disagree because I like High School Musical. The first one, not the other two. But I like the first High School Musical film. I I love Teen Beach. Well, that that's what I was thinking of, is like, we're not too old for Teen Beach, right? Like, we love that movie, but that's kind of a genre movie. I think that's why we like it. So if you were to stack this up against other DCOMs, I'll give you a second to think about it. Because I could tell you, I mean, if I'm just shooting from the hip, what are my rankings? Teen Beach, still number one. Do I put this number two? No, I, I think I put High School Musical number two. I don't even think I put this three. I put Halloween Town number three. I put this number four, followed by Don't Look Under the Bed. Wow. If I'm doing a top five, because I'm not launching into every decom that we've reviewed. Top five? Is it there? Yeah. But what? But what is it beating out? It's beating out three bad Halloween Town sequels. Two horrific high school musical sequels and a bad Teen Beach sequel. You're beating out six movies that stink. You're beating them by default. Uh, no, for me, it's Teen Beach all the way. I love Teen Beach. Uh, high school musical is still far too cheesy for me. I will not put that at number two. And I have made no secret that I don't like Halloween Town. So believe it or not, even though I have pretty much said this gets worse every time I watch it, this is my second favorite decom. But it's your second favorite decom for the same reason it's number five on my list. It's two by default. Oh, Camp Rock. We didn't we didn't factor Camp Rock in. Uh, which forgettable. Right. We we just forgot it. You know, but that's the point. Like Camp Rock, meh. You know, it was it was fun. 
I didn't. I mean, we reviewed it a couple of months ago. I remember thinking it's fun, but I don't. But it's not on my. T- I, I think this is better than Camp Rock. I think it's better than Camp Rock and Camp Rock Two. Camp Rock, I think we're definitely too old for. But this one, th- that's what I'm saying is like the visuals. And and how they made these villains fun and they brought it into the next generation, like that's what will always redeem it for me and make it enjoyable. I, I shouldn't say redeem. There is still rewatchability with this. I've also been assured that these movies get better. The sequels are supposedly better than this. Yes, and to the person that told us that, if you're listening... And you are wrong. I hope <laughs> you're right. After you. I hope you're right. <laughs> but we want to know what you have to say about Descendants. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. Did we miss something about the date? Are we totally wrong? Let us know. Yes, let us know on that social media. News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick break. If you're thinking of taking a Disney trip this year, whether it's Walt Disney World in Florida, Disneyland in California, a Disney cruise, or Olani in Hawaii, get in touch with me for a free quote. I would love to help you plan a trip for you and your family. Or even if you've already booked, reach out. I want to help get you the best deal possible. You can contact me on any of the Monoreal Radio social media outlets, or shoot me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. News this week is brought to you by Karma and Kismet Designs. If you are looking for branding, print and graphic design, media kits, save the dates, invitations, thank you cards, table numbers if you're hosting an event, or perhaps you just need Disney-inspired art print, stationery, and greeting cards... Kelly has you covered. Plus, listeners of the show do get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Don't forget to enter it. You can see all that she has to offer at KarmaAndKismetDesigns.com. That's Karma, the letter N, KismetDesigns.com. So, we have quite a bit of news this week. Starting with the fact that ScarJo's back. What a coincidence. Today, yeah. at the time of this recording, yes. Black Widow is released for free on Disney+. Plus. Anyone can watch it. You don't need to pay for the premium access now. And they have squashed their lawsuit. Yep, it's been settled, and she is excited to work with Disney again, including Tower of Terror. I am excited that that is still back on with her because especially after seeing Jojo Rabbit, which we were remiss to not watch earlier, but we finally got around to it. She is that timeless classic Hollywood beauty. She could play, uh, you know, a a 1920s role, a 50s role. She can just she can do it all. So I'm very excited to see her in this film and what she can do with it. Let's go to the Disney parks. Before we talk about Disney 50 and some of the new offerings, let's talk about some things that are starting to come back. This is exciting. In the form of entertainment, let the magic begin. That is the castle show that starts your day off at Magic Kingdom. That show is back. We are starting to get distanced meet and greets with characters. You're not allowed to hug them, touch them, or get autographs. But you are starting to... Get those meet and greets again. Socially distanced pictures. That That's going to be the difference. I think they'll linger around a little bit more so that you can get your shot and, and get a little bit closer, but still still no touching. No touchy, no likey. 
the mouse is coming back to the town square theater in November. Kind of odd that they didn't have him out there ready for Disney 50, but I think the, the chaos <laughs> that is Disney 50 and the crowds that are Disney 50, it probably would have just been another thing. It would have been another catastrophe. So I, Guess it kind of works that they didn't start him just yet. He will be wearing his 50th attire, though. The iridescent. So you're going to get him in the iridescent suit, which he is looking sharp in. For, for sure. And mini, too. All of them. All I, of them. I've loved those costumes since we saw them revealed. Looks but great. They're on the, even better. Great on the characters, great on the cast members. Uh, November 7th, Disney Movie Magic returns at Disney's Hollywood Studios. Hey. That is the projection show, and they've got live-action Mulan now. Is that... They do it on the Chinese theater. No, I know what it is. Is is that the day that we're going to be... No, we'll be in Magic Kingdom that day, but we'll see it uh, the 9th. Yeah, so we'll be there. Now everybody knows when we're going to be at Hollywood Studios. So say hi on social media. You know where we're going to be. I was going to say, they're going to know if they follow us on social media anyway. They'll find us in the park. We'll be the one wearing the monorail radio logo. So one thing that I'm excited to see coming back, although we're not going to get it on this trip, though we will see it very soon, is Indiana Jones stunt show spectacular returning on December 19th. I think it's smart that they are rolling out some of these shows over the course of many, many weeks. They're doing it with the holiday rollout because they don't want to stack the holidays right on top of Disney 50. Usually that all rolls out on November 1st. This year it's rolling out on the first, on the, uh, the 12th for Magic Kingdom Studios and Animal Kingdom. And then I think it's the 26th of November Epcot is getting it. I like that they're giving everything some room to breathe, but I am so excited that Indy is coming back. Yeah, I mean, you need a crowd suck. Yeah. Especially in that park. And at this point, I think we're just about ready to start crowd sucking again. Yes. Um, and in all seriousness, though, I am very happy that more and more cast members are going to be heading back to work i mean this is hundreds of jobs well i think they said what 65,000 so far have returned and because of all the entertainment uh it, it's going to be several hundred more it's exciting are the fireworks exciting let's talk harmonious look i reserve judgment until i've seen it myself and I think that when they did the live stream of it last Wednesday, I think the broadcast was shoddy, which is not anything I've said about Disney Parks blog. They're usually spectacular. Um, first impressions for me, it's, it's not working. I'm, I'm going to give it a chance to see it in person. Perhaps this is just something that doesn't look good on TV or stream well. But, yeah, I'm I'm not sure that I'm 100% on board with this Harmonious. I definitely agree. I want to give it a fair shake because I went in, admittedly, with preconceived notions. I said that we don't need to keep pumping so many characters into the parks that when we were kids, Epcot was 
God forgive me, the boring park because you didn't appreciate it when you were that young. You just didn't. I mean, I was a weird kid. I always thought it was a pretty park and I always I always enjoyed being there. But I was always like the weird one out of my friends that liked Epcot because especially when we were kids, there weren't as many rides. It wasn't geared towards families the way that the other ones are. And, and that's not what it was supposed to be. It was Walt's vision for the experimental prototype community of tomorrow. So I am of the old school that you don't need to keep cramming your IPs in. Frozen, great. Very fitting for Norway. And you can't fit it in Magic Kingdom. Remy's Ratatouille Adventure, sure. Why not? The Three Caballeros in, uh, in, in the Mexico, Mexico Pavilion. Yeah. I always liked that because that was one of the first rides where they really did start to bring the characters into Epcot. So right. that's fine. And if they retheme it as Coco, I'll be even happier with it. They're not retheming it as Coco. They don't have a big enough queue for it. They're not going to do it. Coco's going to go to uh, Magic. I just don't think that space is big enough for Coco. We are going to see that when we're down there, I'm too. I'm excited. That's November 12th. So anyway, my point being, I I went in. I was very quick to judge because I was like, we don't need another projection show with characters. That's what we have in the Magic Kingdom. And, you know, even Hollywood Studios, I think it's very fitting because that is supposed to be the movie park. So you're going to do something themed around the movies. Sure. I just didn't think we needed it here. And I still don't. And I was hoping that it was going to be so spectacular, I'd be proven wrong. I don't think the broadcast did this any favors because they were zoomed into the projections, which I don't need to see from a television. I'll see those details when I'm there. What they should have done was locked it on a wide shot so that we got to take in the show as a whole and and see what these metal tacos that have been sitting there blocking our view are really all about. That's my other big problem with this show is that they ran out of the budget and those barges were supposed to be moved back into the marina during the day so that it didn't block your view. And instead of finishing the project, we launched Avengers Campus and we're finishing Guardians of the Galaxy, which isn't even going to open for another year and put a whole bunch of money into other things instead of completing this one, which seems to be the track record with Chapik. But anyway, I can go on and on about that. Um, I really do want to give it a fair shake because I don't think that it translated over to the TV. Um, I wish we would have had a picture in picture. I would have been fine with that. But as far as what we did see, uh, I did really like the music. I do love that it was in all of these different languages. I think that that was a smart and long overdue choice to incorporate into Epcot. Um, but I feel like, I actually feel like they copied and pasted Happily Ever After because the same films that were in Happily Ever After are are in this now. Right up into the transit, and I, I had said that to you, yeah. they transition from out there into, is it almost there from Princess and the Frog? I think so. Whatever it was, it, it's literally the same transition as it was. Yeah. And it flows so nicely, but it it was literally the same part from Happily Ever After that's now that you can now see over at Harmonious. 
Um, yeah, I, I want to be wrong, but I just don't think I'm going to be. And for the 50th anniversary of Walt's dream, Epcot Forever was the better show. Agreed. Let's talk about Enchantment. This is even more polarizing than Harmonious. A lot of people have been critical of the fact that, to your point, this is the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World. Nowhere in this show does it feel like a 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World. But I sort of give that a pass. Because no one said this was a 50th anniversary fireworks show. Correct. We don't know how long this is for. This could just be our new fireworks that, oh, by the way, they released on October 1st. Well, no, they say it's running for the 18 months of Disney 50. Now, they've said that about other fireworks shows, like Illuminations was supposed to be temporary and ran for 20 years. Here's the thing. I, as an adult who loves... Walt Disney World and loves Walt Disney the man I wish we would have heard from him because we've heard his voice in other projection shows in other fireworks shows so even though you didn't necessarily advertise this as being the 50th anniversary fireworks because you started it on the 50th anniversary and according to you it's only running for the length of the 50th anniversary don't muck it up and now say, well, it's not really the 50th anniversary. That's exactly what it is. Then you shouldn't have gotten rid of Happily Ever After. So the fact that there's no Walt, there's no Roy, that within itself is off-putting. I will give the critics that. Right, because this is also not 50 years of Walt Disney animation. This is 50 years of Walt Disney World. It should reflect the parks. It would have been great if you would have had a mix of music from bygone attractions and film yes because the park doesn't exist without the film right none of it exists without walt disney right but in disney's defense my friend just spent 10 grand to go to disney world with his wife and kids he's got three kids and is the last person you'd ever expect to see (laughs) go to walt disney world he's he's a hard-nosed detective the last guy you think is going to be wearing Mickey ears, but he wore his Mickey daddy shirt. They all had the matching shirts, you know, and and he looked the part because it's what was important for his children and for his wife, who very much is a Disney fan. So he went along with it and he actually had a great time. And he oh, said he's on board now. He's a convert. He's, he's a, convert. a total convert. Now. But here's the thing. He spent 10 grand. Uh, He's not going to be DVC. He's not going to go every year. This is something where he's going to go every couple of years. But if you're going to spend that much money and you're going to go every couple of years, I don't care that it's not a longtime classic. His kids want to hear the music from Moana. They want to hear the music from Frozen 2. They want to hear Friend Like Me. They want to hear... They want to hear everything. They want to hear what they have grown up listening to and when you spend that much money to bring a family to disney world whether people want to admit it or not and most of them don't disney is a business and they're in the business of making money and in in terms of being in the business of making money very few companies do it as good as disney so while i am not a fan of moana and i don't want to hear 
the Moana music all of the time. Well, that's too bad for me. Because for as many times as you and I get to go to Walt Disney World, and for the amount of times that we will continue to go to Walt Disney World, and those those occasions are going to become more and more frequent, I suspect, there's always going to be that family. And you know this as a Disney travel concierge. There's always going to be more families who do this once in a lifetime. And those are the people that I think you are trying to appeal to. Of course, because as a business, who does Disney care if they're going to piss off? The childless millennial who maybe didn't get to hear Under the Sea for the 47th time? or day? Yeah. Or the mom that's going to go back to her mom blog and tell her mom friends that my kid didn't get to hear Moana. Bingo. That's what Disney cares about. So I get it. I get that we focused on the same chunk of films and the same couple of songs. And maybe it's just because you and I don't love Moana. I mean, maybe this is how everybody else felt when Let It Go took over. And I just sat there and reveled in it. And I'm sure that that's how most people did feel. Right. But as far as if this is your 50th anniversary show, it should have encompassed the parks a little bit more. Like you said, I agree. I would have loved to see or or hear some audio rather from bygone rides or focus on the films that have an attraction in that park. Do I need to hear grim grinning ghost after I've just stepped off of the haunted mansion? No, but maybe it would have been cool to see some more Jack Sparrow because they had him in happily ever after. Here's what I do like about enchantment. And this is this is just personal taste because I've I've made my feelings known. Well, maybe not clearly because I've I've said I don't like happily ap- ever after. But when I explain why, it's just like, well, it's not wishes and that's the one I grew up on. What I don't think I've really articulated is that my issue with happily ever after was that it was not a fireworks show. It was a castle projection show and there were fireworks. This was a fireworks show with the aid of projections. I was very happy that this was a full 20 minutes of fireworks. We weren't focusing on the video. Uh, I do love what they did with Main Street. Nobody's talking about that. That looked cool. I'm excited to stand there and and see it all around me. Um, I I actually do like this better than Happily Ever After. I don't think I'm going to ever love anything the way that I did with Wishes. Uh, but this is something that I'm I'm really excited to experience in person. Me too. I think that this is obviously far better than Harmonious. Um, and I know I said it before, it is so polarizing, but I'll be honest with you, I understand why, but at the same time, I don't really understand why. People hate this because they're supposed to hate it. There was hate on this show before you even saw it because I'm supposed to hate it. But guess what? A lot of people hated Happily Ever After. The same people who hated Happily Ever After hated this because it replaced Happily Ever After. So it's something that I think is going to grow on people in time. I agree with you. It's a fireworks show with the aid of castle projections. I think the music blends seamlessly in this show. I think it is a suitable and acceptable replacement for Happily Ever After. What show did I prefer? Happily Ever After. What music did I prefer? 
happily ever after. But that's not to say that I don't like this. To me, it's like it's like a 1A and 1B. No, I'll go 1A and 1C because I'm going to put wishes in between them. Whereas to me, it's Illuminations, number one, Epcot Forever 2, and Harmonious isn't even on the list right now. So I, I get it, but at the same time, I don't think it's as bad as people are making it out to be. No, and for the people that are really like hardcore complaining, suck it up, Buttercup. These are first world problems. Like, listen to us going on for <laughs> 20 minutes about fireworks show. If the worst part about your life is you didn't like the fireworks you saw at the Magic Kingdom today, you're yeah. doing something right. Yeah. I'm just saying. And listen, neither one of them are kite tails. <laughs> right? I cannot wait to go watch Kai Tales. We're going to play a drinking game every time one of those things crashes into the water. It's not going to drink. <laughs> it's going to be gone by the time we get there. Yeah. I, I don't, don't see this last. I don't see Kai Tales lasting two more weeks. No, because they're ripping. You can see it. Everybody is posting videos. And I, I, I see what they were going for. And I loved when they did it in Epcot Forever. It worked when you didn't have like a giant Macy's balloon trailing you and it was just an actual kite. If you bought the Macy's balloon on, on Wish. Wish, that's what I said when we saw it the first time. It's By the time we get there next month, this is not going to be a thing anymore. This is going to be one of those things like the Toad Burger that we look back on oh. and go, what the <laughs> hell were they doing? Because I'm sorry, the Toad Burger just haunts my dreams. We're going to look back on this and go, what the hell were they thinking? I want to see it, though. I want to see this train wreck. I mean, if it's if they're still doing it, we're going to go, but I don't see them doing it. I think it's going to be gone. But we're interested in knowing what you have to say about Disney 50 and all of the shows that they are premiering. Where do they rank on your list? How do you feel about entertainment returning? How do you feel about ScarJo being back? Let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on Verbal or your podcast platform of choice. I just mentioned all of the social media and the email address where you can get in touch with that. And for links to everything, it's online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.